Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Autism in Conversation with Auticon. Research by Auticon reveals that many autistic people in employment choose not to disclose their diagnosis in the workplace. In this episode, we look to explore some of the reasons for this, as well as discuss some of the implications that come alongside a working environment in which people don't feel they can be their authentic selves. We'll also be speaking to our guests about some examples of best practice amongst businesses that are getting it right for our autistic community. I'm joined today by Callum Stephen Howes, writer and content creator, also known as Autistic Callum, Philip Scott, responsible business manager at Deloitte, and Malcolm Chambers, IT consultant at Auticon. Welcome, everybody. It's lovely to have you on the, the program. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. And I know that everyone has some really interesting insights to share on this topic. To begin with, though, I'd like to look at the stats around disclosure in the workplace. Research by Auticon shows that around 1 in 10 autistic workers do not feel that they can disclose their diagnosis to their workplace. I was quite surprised at those stats. I thought they would have been higher than that. I thought 1 in 10, I think that's, yeah, amongst my friends, if I did my own little survey, I think they would be more like half. I think half of my friends feel really awkward about going into work and saying, I'm autistic and wondering about what implications uh, that would have. Disclosure is such a personal thing and can be complicated. We'll discuss more on that later. To begin with, I think it would be really beneficial to hear about everyone's own direct experiences of this. Uh, Callum, I'll come to you first. I know that you've worked in a few different industries. Can you tell us about some of the roles that you've had? Yes, I've worked quite a few different entry-level roles. I've been a street recruiter, somebody outside handing you leaflets, trying to get your name and your number. I've been a receptionist, an admin assistant, a marketing assistant, a student support assistant, a course advisor, and most recently, a training solicitor. Wow, that's a whole combination of roles. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking, that's a lot of very front-facing roles. Are you comfortable in those roles? It's funny because... I just kind of fell into front-facing roles. It wasn't necessarily my intention. When I was 16 and trying to find my first job, it proved so difficult. The only job I could get was one as a street recruiter. And I was really hesitant to do the role because I thought, wow, I'm going to be speaking to loads of strangers and also on the street as well. I'm not in an office. I'm not in a safe space. I'm not particularly protected. And people have not asked me to speak to them. They might tell me where to go. So that was very nerve wracking for me, but it kind of threw me into the deep end when it came to customer facing roles and it went a lot better than I imagined. I always hit my targets. People were very friendly. People responded well to me and signed up. So I think that kind of paved the way for me to feel comfortable working in face to face roles. And have you always disclosed that you're autistic to employers? Not always. In the past, I didn't actually think it was relevant. I didn't know much about autism. I was initially diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome when that was a thing. And nobody ever really explained that to me when I was a child. All they really said was, oh, that means you're a bit socially awkward. It probably means you want to spend time alone. I thought, oh, this is very personal information. It's not something I want to hide per se, but I don't see why my employer would need to know. So it wasn't until I actually knew more about autism as it became. And then I realized, oh, wait, I process things differently. Oh, I communicate differently. I interpret what people say differently. I have a completely different sensory profile, which means I need to be careful with my energy. But I then realized, oh, I need to start speaking about autism in the workplace. So 
when I started speaking about autism in the workplace, I felt at first initially nervous and sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't. I remember trying to apply for training solicitor roles and in some applications I declared it, some I didn't. And in the end, I thought, you know what, let's do a fun experiment. I'm getting nowhere with any of the applications. Nobody wants to hire me. And then I thought, you know, I've got 20 firms left I want to apply for. The application processes are more or less the same. Let's create 20 tailored applications that are the same in substance, but obviously tailored to the individual places. In 50% of them, I would declare that I'm autistic and 50% I won't. So of the 10 that I declared autism to, um, two of them invited me to the next stage. On the 10 that I didn't disclose autism to, four invited me to the next stage. So it's actually 50% less likely to get invited to an interview or asked to complete an entrance test when I announced that I was autistic. But a silver lining to this was the firm that eventually employed me was one that I disclosed my autism to. And they were supportive in a lot of ways. And when you say supportive, what are your experiences of that with that company? So I spent two years working for them. My training contract involved me having to work for four different departments for six months each. Even though they were part of one firm, every department felt like its own culture and its own biosphere. That's a lot of change. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was it was really good that I underestimated the amount of change because I might not have done it had I known. <laughs> yes. Not because it was a terrible experience, but just it really put my body through the ringer going through so much change. I felt it mentally and physically. Yeah. But I would say that one department did a fantastic job. They did everything right. The manager of that department was actually the manager of the diversity and inclusion team at that point. So you can right. tell that she was just really on it. She asked me how best they can support me, whether she wanted me to tell the members of the department that I'm autistic, whether I want to share it or whether I don't want to share it at all. And that whole team was very supportive. They leaned into my strengths. They individually asked me how they can support me. And they said, if you ever don't understand anything or you need something explained, let me know. My supervisor in that team was very flexible in terms of my working pattern, which was helpful. If I had a medical appointment, it didn't matter. As long as I didn't have a client meeting, I could just go. I preferred working at home and I was told that I could work from home. There was no pressure to go into the office unless I wanted to. So I think it's the small things that make a big difference. And I recognize that just allowing me to receive information in a way that works for my brain working with me and being flexible where they could really made a difference. I'm just thinking about the impact that that has on one's anxiety levels when you know that you're heard, when you know that those adjustments, even if you don't use any of those adjustments, you don't end up needing, you know, if you're like, actually, I don't need anything explained. I'm actually fine here. What difference did that make to your anxiety levels? It was transformative because when I went into that team, I'd previously been in a team that hadn't been so supportive. I declared that I was autistic and I felt like they kind of saw that as a flaw and they were always blaming any communication differences based on that. Oh, it's probably your autism. That's why you don't understand this. And they described me as hostile, probably because I was autistic. So that department, it wasn't a pleasant experience for me, but it was kind of interesting to go from that experience of heightened anxiety and feeling like everything that I went through was being blamed on my differences to then being supported. And I felt that my health was so much better. 
I was able to properly sleep at night. I felt more proactive. I didn't feel this sense of doom when I logged in. I had more energy in myself. And I guess it just, it made my life feel more like a life than just trying to get through the week and then prepare myself so I can get through the next week. Absolutely. But also just, I'm just thinking how brave you are to have stuck out that company and waited for the good department to come along. You know, most people probably would have just gone, forget it, I can't do this. Thank you. It's funny because I, looking back, I don't think I was brave at all. I think it's one of those things where it sounds it perhaps to someone when they're hearing it and time has passed. When you're in the moment, it's just like, wow, that was really rude. It's hard to really take an objective viewpoint and recognize how terrible it is when you're just responding on an emotional level. And it feels like you're constantly going from one difficult yeah. scenario to another. Yeah, I think also as autistic people, often there's a, the processing takes a bit longer. So sometimes it's years later, you go, hang on a minute, that wasn't right. Um, yes. Well, maybe neurotypicals also feel that too. Uh, but I noticed that a lot with, with autistic people. So Malcolm, let's move to you. Thank you so much, Callum. That was wonderful. Thank uh, you. Malcolm, you're currently an IT consultant with Auticon. Have you always worked in IT or have you worked in other sectors as well? Um, so as a teenager and young adult, I was in simple things like retail and digitizing maps and council records for photos of buildings and things. And then moved into finance, which started to use the computers more heavily in a technical way. I've spent some time cleaning in a care home as well. Then I moved into a graduate scheme as a graduate physicist in uh, nuclear nuclear safety and simulating radiation using computers. And then I moved into a hospital um, in a radiotherapy department. And I was there for about seven years. And so there's there's quite a range there. I'm always amazed with autistic people how the breadth of jobs that most autistic people you talk to do, that's just totally across our whole spectrum of jobs, isn't it? And for you, is the IT the place, is that the sweet spot for you? Is that the place where you really feel, yes, this is, I'm able to be most mostly myself here? Yeah, I think in terms of the other things I've done, there's always been a practical, literally a technical term, a practical aspect to radiotherapy and also the interaction and office politics a lot more in companies that haven't been as accommodating or even aware of autism. The office politics in those situations, and I think this alludes to something Callum mentioned about any difficulties, any disagreements can be attributed to, oh, that's the autistic person's communication deficit. They misunderstood what I said. It wasn't me, it may be a colleague basically blaming the autistic colleague for being at fault because of the autism. Yeah, so office politics are really difficult to navigate. And you're right, it's easy to be scapegoated. And I think in terms of a hospital, it's a very, very unpredictable environment. It's got some structure and a similar layout, but anything can change in five minutes. You can have a plan for the week and it can change constantly. And obviously that's with patients. So you've got an empathy, you've got the interaction there while thinking about some very technical things. So like you said, you were asking about the IT, whether that's the sweet spot. It's partly because it facilitates processing information with less onus on handling a device being the unpredictability or uncertainties are definitive. It won't be something's malfunctioning in the same way, usually. 
Yeah. I've done some work in hardware, and that's why I went from the hardware of computers in the radiotherapy department in the hospital. I then moved into IT, developing electronic patient records. So it's digital forms, designing them, yeah. making them do the maths and logic correctly for another hospital. Wow. And then that led me towards just a purely IT programming role. Incredible. What an incredible career you've had so far. Just talk to me then about, have you always disclosed uh, that you're autistic to your employers? So I was only officially diagnosed a few years ago uh, when I was 30. Yeah. So I had a preliminary diagnosis or a mention from a professional at school who assessed various people for extra time in exams. They mentioned it's quite probable he's got Asperger again, similar experience to Callum back then I was 14. Yeah. So the terminology and even the definitions, clinically speaking, were different. So that was an informal diagnosis. And I always kept it in the back of my mind, particularly when I was in like office politics situations, distractions in an office. So I haven't been able to disclose because I've never had the official um, piece of paper. Oh, yes. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another aspect is the psychological or the vulnerability aspect of disclosing, even if it's only a unofficial, informal. Some managers would help. Some managers would be unhelpful, to say the least. Yeah. So when, when you have disclosed, so have you had a mixture of responses then? What's that been like? Yeah. So I got diagnosed partway through a job at a hospital. So some of the reasonable adjustments were support from colleagues. I would say greater sympathy or um, forgiveness, greater forgiveness from managers and some colleagues who were aware for communication difficulties, getting greater clarity and a second opinion from managers that were aware. So I only told about three people while I was in that job and the head of department. Yeah. And one of the things that contributed to me leaving was my role due to understaffing changed significantly. There was the prospect of learning a whole different set of skills that was very different from what I had been hoping for and what had been discussed in the past. Yeah, but it was not an easy situation for you. It wasn't. Um, I think what I said and I think what Callum mentioned similar experience was if colleagues know the way I can simply summarize it is if colleagues, and this is dangerous in itself, if colleagues know, they know how to help you, but malicious colleagues could also know how to weaponize that and use it to blame you or scapegoat you. Yeah, I really hear that. And also, I guess telling, telling someone, hey, I just need to let you know I'm autistic if that person doesn't understand what that means, it's not enough just for, in my book anyway. If you disclose it, that's one thing, but they need the training to understand yeah. what, you know, and it's not, and I also think it's not your job to educate every single person that you meet every day. You know, Google is free. This, this is a very good <laughs> point. There's, there's two aspects of that. It's, um, I've heard almost literally that before, that it's not my job to educate someone and you could have to educate 100 people on a daily basis. In that yeah. situation, the Google. Yeah, that's exhausting. But the Google is free also has, uh, we may digress too much, but Google is free has a risk that it's also got very inaccurate information. And as you know, other search engines are yeah. available. That's of, of course. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't mention, I did disclose in a similar approach to Callum 
when I moved from one hospital to another, I did the disclose before I moved to another hospital. And I even agreed a couple of reasonable adjustments before I'd signed the contract and before I'd quit the okay. previous job. One of them was just about implemented or was in people's minds. And that was relating to sensory stuff. So working from home, having ear sure. defenders if I need it or um, noise counseling headphones was mentioned. Another one was very basic and having regular meetings. And I don't think they were aware of that. I don't think they were aware in my department of the reasonable adjustments until I mentioned them. So it doesn't always Not go smoothly. Not even being aware yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, it feels like you're having to educate people or explain. Let, thank you so much, Malcolm. Now let's come to Philip. Um, could you explain to the listeners what your role is at Deloitte? Of course I can, um, Carrie. Listen, thank you so much to Callum and Malcolm. I mean, it's, it's I always am I'm amazed when I listen to the podcast and I talk to, to individuals across our business about just, just to touch on one thing very quickly is the, the breadth of rules. Like you mentioned, Carrie, that when I, like we often hear from people with autism who have had such a spectrum of um, different jobs and different rules. Uh, across different companies in different ways um, and I'll put my hand up and say I've, I've been with Deloitte for, for 17 years. Um, I left university, went straight into a consultant job and, and I've been working in the responsible business team at Deloitte for, for about 12 years now. So so I, yeah, I've ultimately the role of my team is to ensure that Deloitte as a business operates in a socially responsible way. Um, internally, that's across the whole spectrum of the business to help integrate responsible business into daily operations. Uh, externally, it's about building partnerships with organizations who can really challenge us as a business to do better um, and organizations that we can work with as well to help them to change the scale, to grow. Part of the role is oversight of all of the third sector partnerships we have uh, with charities, with schools, with social enterprises. And that's where my connection with, with Audicon comes in. It's not about philanthropy. It used to be in the past. It used to be entirely kind of corporate charity relationships. The The relationship I now have and the partnership we have with Audicon is business to business relationship. And it's really about enabling our organization to grow as much as it is about us helping Audicon to, to grow as a, as a business as well. The most exciting bit about the whole thing uh, for me is I get the opportunity to meet extraordinary people um, as, I'm, as I'm doing today. But, you know, with Steve and through Audicon and with some of the individuals that that we've brought into the business, it's it's you know it's helping us as a business to do more and do better. Just listening to you, Philip, it it, it feels like you're the person that we want to meet in companies. You know, you, you it sounds like you've got the listening ears on that we're looking for. What are the benefits to? having staff that are able to show up as themselves. I mean, that kind of feels like I've answered the question. Yeah. If you're able to show up as yourself, surely you're going to be a better employee. So what what have you noticed are the benefits to people being able to show up as their authentic selves and disclose who they, you know, they truly are in, in their, all everything of what they are, all of what they yeah, are? Yeah, I think there are benefits across the board. There's massive benefits for the individual, but like into the wider business, there's huge benefits as well. And I think Callum and Malcolm have, have touched on those. It's, you know, you're more likely, the individual is more likely to stay with the organization if they feel like they are being respected and are comfortable to be able to kind of highlight and show their their strengths. I think there's a, there's a massive education and understanding and awareness piece about uh, disclosure, but it shouldn't 
be on the individual to do that. And I think there's something that I really wanted to say here about, just to reiterate what you had said, Carrie, at the start about this being a very personal and sometimes complex and depending on individual circumstances, depending on previous experience, perhaps, there's so many barriers that could potentially be put in place for people. And I think because of that, there's a massive onus on the business, on organisations to create the environment for every individual to feel that they can be their authentic selves. And I think we'll probably return to this point a number of times. But, you know, if you get it right for an individual um, who is neurodiverse, you're going to get it right for everybody. And, you know, I think Malcolm had mentioned about disclosure kind of while and being diagnosed while he was in the company. Um, Callum had mentioned about disclosing kind of before he joined the company through the recruitment process and then disclosing when you're in the business as well. I think it's something that really needs to be more than just a strapline or a set of words from an organization. And and by that, I think, I mean, there's access to networks and resources and and communities. It's got to be something that's, you know, people need to feel safe, respected and supported and free from judgment. One of the ways that we have done that in Deloitte in the last 18 months is introduced a a ways of working framework. And it's really quite a simple tool and it's something that Callum alluded to as well. It's not always about an overhaul of all of the business strategy or an overhaul of everything that you do. It can sometimes be kind of really straightforward and simple things that that you put in place. So this ways of working framework, it's split into two areas. The first one is a manual of me and it's a little bit like an individual passport. And it gives people the opportunity to outline how they like to work you know, to put together what their strengths are and to tell the team a little bit about your background. You're able to put out there a little bit about how you like to work on a day-to-day basis. Um, And it's very personal to you. And it's about looking after your well-being, I think, which is also really important. So the manual of me is something that we, whenever a new team comes together, people are afforded the opportunity to talk through that. And it's not necessarily about saying, I have autism. It's more about saying, these are my strengths. This is how I like to work. And I think if we get that right for people with autism and people who are neurodiverse, I think we get that right for everybody. Um, And that creates, I think, a more comfortable environment for people to disclose if they wish to, uh, because people are then more comfortable about being open. I guess also bearing in mind, of course, that many people will be diagnosed as autistic at an older age so I think there's sometimes an assumption that someone can come into a business and go hello um, I've just been diagnosed I'm autistic and then you're then as an autistic person expected to be the expert on autism and you're actually learning yourself do you know what I mean so it's not always that the autistic person knows everything about themselves at that point and also there's so many assumptions if you're diagnosed late uh, that you just have you've worked out how to survive you've worked out how to work your environment environment that actually you don't even realize some of these things are making you ill (laughs) but you you've just learned to do them so somehow finding I uh, what I would love is to see companies that have that are ahead of the game that have the insights that actually they're not just waiting on the autistic person to bring the the, you know of course they're everyone's individual and each person's you know you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person we know that but actually for those people to lead wouldn't it be great if companies led in it and were like, yeah, what about this area of your life? I would love for autistic people to have that level of surprise, perhaps, of, wow, they've just said something to me I hadn't even thought about. It would be great to get to that position where the companies actually 
are leading in this rather than putting all the onus on the autistic person. Exactly. And absolutely agree. What do you think about that? (laughs) That for me, to to be honest, that that for me is exactly where I would want Deloitte to get to. Um, And it's absolutely why we work alongside an organisation like Audicon, because I think they are... They are an organization who is leading the field with all of this. And and I think um, that's exactly why we want to have a, a collaboration and a partnership with an organization with individuals like Steve and others across Odicon because that's the only way that we're going to change. Let's move on to best practice, which is something I always love discussing on this podcast. It never ceases to inspire me when I get to hear the great things that are happening to support our our autistic community. So Philip, you have just said about working with Auticon. How did you first get involved with, with the company? So I've been aware of Auticon for a number of years now. So in one of my previous roles, I used to support a social enterprise accelerator program at Deloitte and Auticon were you know, that was about connecting Deloitte with some of the most innovative, exciting organizations out there. And Audicon are and have been for a number of years, that organization. Um, so they've always been a, an organization I've been a big fan of from a distance. More recently, I'd taken a step away from Deloitte for personal reasons. And when I came back into the role, you know, the landscape for business and responsible business has changed and evolved. Um, and it's clear, I think, organizations who have had a traditional view and a traditional way of working are going to go out of business in the long term. I think people want to work for, buy from, invest in organizations who think about more than just profit. And, you know, in the past, I think people have looked at profit and social good being in competition with each other. And I think an organization like Audicon proves that that's fundamentally flawed. And so working in partnership with Audicon, which I now do, so I've come across them because of um, a business-to-business relationship where we are looking to recruit some really exceptionally talented individuals. Audicon help us to do that. And in the last few months, I've built up a good relationship with Steve. And in the last few years as a business, we've been working on a subcontractor relationship with Audicon to help us to access that talent that, you know, historically we've we've not been able to access. Um, and in doing so, that helps us as a business to be better at creating the environment for us to do that on a more readily available basis. Yeah. And what impact has it had on the business, would you say? Uh, very good question. I think it's a combination of economic and social benefits, Carrie. I think it's it's right across the board. So um, on the commercial side, as I say, Audicon's enabled us to access talent uh, we may not otherwise have been able to access. Uh, there's a recognised global shortage in, in certain skills, particularly around IT and, and technology. And Audicon is allowing us to access that talent enable us to build diverse teams and really, you know, bringing together some individuals who are exceptionally talented, helping us to tackle some of the most complex challenges out there for, for our clients and for us as an organization as well. Um, so there's been a, it's been a massive impact on Deloitte as an organization on some of the work that we're able to do because it does give us a competitive advantage out there in how we, how we work with our clients. It's also the collaborative approach that Audicon takes shouldn't really be underestimated. I think it's had a massive um, beneficial impact on us and how we interact with our people. That way is a working framework that I talked about. Although I wish I could give Audicon all of the credit for that. I think in the last 18 months or so, we've <laughs> we've had you know a massive amount of change across our business and how we approach uh, neurodiversity. And that's everything from you know, changing our recruitment model and helping to educate and aware and raise understanding across the business from people leaders through to, you know, there's there's training and neurodiversity training available to everybody now. 
But for recruiters, it's about making sure that every individual that comes through is, you know, whether those individuals disclose autism or not, they receive flexible, supportive and a positive experience through the process. Because, you know, essentially what we want to do is make sure that whether it's like right at the outset from an application or recruitment process or whether it's in the job as we move forward, is making sure that everyone has Mm -hmm. the opportunity to thrive and given the environment and the support and the framework around that to allow them to do so. And part of that is absolutely raising awareness and understanding across the rest of the business so that it's not always down to the, you know, an individual to advocate for themselves. It's also so that other people can help to support them through that. And it's interesting, we've talked about kind of disclosing and putting reasonable adjustments in place. And I think what's really interesting for me is having talked to a number of people is there's a number of people come back to me and said, you know, I know now that there are reasonable adjustments in place, but on reflection, I didn't need those reasonable adjustments. I just needed someone to be thoughtful to me. And I think that's that's really, really important. We've got to do that by design now rather than by accident. And I think sometimes in the past it was to do with personal relationships. And and now I think we've moved to a place where it's it's by design and it's by working with organizations like Auticon we can understand we need to do so much better in training people, in educating people, you know, in helping people understand that there are networks out there to support them. And in the last year, almost to the day actually, we develop we've developed a neurodiversity network at Deloitte, which brings together, you know, a whole it's like central to that is it's about increasing awareness of of autism, it's about increasing awareness of the value that our neurodivergent colleagues bring to the firm. And central to that is a community forum that is led by neurodivergent colleagues who come together, they can provide and receive peer-to-peer support, feedback on the firm's progress and really challenge the firm as a whole to be better and drive forward that network agenda. And it, it's been it's been a fabulous addition to the to the firm's networks. Philip, it sounds amazing what you're doing. And I'm really hoping that people that listen to this podcast that are in positions like yours really spread the word because it's wonderful. Malcolm, over to you. Uh, how did you first hear about Auticon? Um, so it's interesting. This is from a journey of self-discovery after being diagnosed and around that time leading up to whether to pursue it. I read a lot of people's experiences and watched a lot of people's testimonials, video blogs online, that sort of thing. So I think I came across it in one or two of those or maybe books. And then it sat at the back of my mind for a while. And then I heard people, like a lot of autistic people I went to a conference with and they mentioned it. And I thought, yes, that's worth looking into. That may tick all the boxes for me. So yeah, I think that leads on from the autistic community is very important in that journey in terms of being educated by people like us rather than trying to figure it out slowly ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what what difference does it make to your working environment being involved, you know, having Auticon involved in, in your work? Yeah, so one of the big things I noticed immediately was they involved me and a couple of other people who joined in the language that's used. They asked us to sort of check the policies, some of them, to make sure they were up to date, make sure they incorporated their new staff's views and what we had learned. So it was bi-directional. So that the extent of that involvement was very promising right in the first week, I think. And 
it was clear that wasn't just for autism, it was for every type of diversity in the company right. and in society. They were very keen to pr promote and accepting each individual, not just having a broad reasonable adjustment, um, suggesting some things that have helped other people, but also listening to what has helped an individual in the past. So ultimately, yeah, it means we can all be, you know, our authentic selves to use yeah. that phrase. And that means we're less stressed. We can just focus on the job. We can treat each other, each other with respect and enjoy it. And basically. have there been any particular examples of best practice that have really worked for you? Yes. In terms of autism specifically and bridging that gap of communication barriers sometimes, or sometimes clients will always be brought up to speed on autism and educated, but in individual projects and things, having a job coach with each Autocon consultant to liaise between yes. the client and the consultant that's doing the work. Just identify any problems, yeah. resolve them easily, and it helps everything run smoothly. Yeah, we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, my child who has a creative enabler on set because they're an actor. And that go-between person is absolute gold that they are so brilliant especially in those early days where you're just everyone's kind of getting used to each other I feel like those just having I think if you find advocating for yourself difficult just having that extra person there that can step into the gap and uh, and and speak I think is really helpful really helpful I've thought of one if I can if I can add on yes one more. please do um, another one is for large organizations, one I've been in had a disability network, and that's similar to what Philip mentioned about an autistic neurodiversity community. It leads you through that learning and it gives you that support to validate yourself and each other. Yeah. A community for that and a support group that's actually facilitated very meaningfully is important as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Often now autistic communities will say, that's the place where I can breathe easy. I know that I'm, I'm not, yeah. I can just be myself there and everyone kind of gets my quirks and it's okay. Uh, Callum, do you ever talk in your community about disclosing autism in the workplace? Is that a subject that's come up? Yeah, I have to say anything workplace related comes up so much in conversations. I often do start conversations about workplace related matters just because it's always been relevant to my life. And I have to say the response every time is always enormous. The workplace posts always do so well. I think it's because autistic people often have really good experiences in the workplace or really bad experiences. Yeah. It's not very often I hear somebody say, Oh, yeah, that's fine. I get by. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> I have the same it experiences, is. yes, with the people I talk to. Exactly that. And um, what's quite interesting to me is obviously people are quite hesitant to share too much about anything that specific because they don't want to kind of identify employers and stuff. But just what I hear from people in terms of what works for them and what is good. So many people have said that they find it easier when their manager is neurodivergent not necessarily autistic, maybe ADHD or dyspraxic, dyslexic, yeah. or all of those. Um, it really does help when you have somebody who's in charge of you and who's meant to be your mentor, knows how your brain works, or at least understands what it's like to have a brain that works differently to the majority of societies. And I would have to say as well that there's always a discourse about which jobs are right for autistic people, like, oh, you should be a solicitor, or you'd be great as an engineer. But I don't think there are specific careers that are good or bad for autistic people. I think it really depends on the person and the job. And that's one thing I've really learned speaking to other autistic people as well. Like we've all mentioned 
um, autistic people can often have so many different careers. I've spoken to people who've been nurses, yoga teachers, (laughs) primary school teachers and admin assistants. So I think but one common denominator I found is that a lot of the people I speak to really seem to like roles that allow for autonomy, creativity, flexibility, and also a level of process. Sometimes people see creativity and process as conflicting, but I think I see it as creativity within confines. You have the space to really stimulate your brain, but you have a sense of direction as well, and you have that reassurance of a routine. Yeah, I love that. So you've got what what we would call in business form and flow, where you've got the very definite things, but then it's the agility and the ability to adapt and work around that, the creativity. I love that. So finally, we move on to our looking to the future section. As anyone who's listened to the podcast will know, we often use this final section of the podcast to look ahead and discuss some of the things we'd like to see happening. I don't know, let's dream 10 years from now, if we wanted things to be better for autistic people. Let's go to you, Philip, first. You know, what what do you think could what would you like to see happen in your company or elsewhere? You've seen, you've obviously been there 17 years. You've seen a lot of change. Let's just look forward 10 years. Where would you like to to see things for autistic people? So it's, it's interesting because I think the, the statistics point to, you know, 22% of autistic adults, you know, in employment. There's a, there's a massive um, gap there, actually. I think it's seeing that number increase. And one of the things I think organizations can do is to hire more autistic individuals, but also, you know, challenge themselves to have the environment right for those individuals to feel like their strengths can be can be brought forward and, and that they can feel safe and welcomed and non and you know not be not be judged essentially. Um and so that they can yeah. they can be their their very best selves. So I would like to see, you know, in the future many more businesses coming out and really challenging themselves to um, expand the opportunities for neurodiverse individuals with, across the firm. And, and also, I think one of the things that I think we lack in business and society is representation of neurodiversity at, across the business, and particularly at senior levels. I kind of look at you know our media or government and, and senior leaders within business. And you know I think there needs to be much more representation of of autism and and neurodiversity within within those spheres. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say particularly adding to that in business, particularly in the interview part of businesses, if we want more than 22% of people getting into jobs, we've got to think about the way that we interview people because absolutely. most of the interview, once you're past the form, it's all about social skills. How, how much do I relate to this person or this, this panel of people that are talking to me? Um, that's not always the best way to get the best out of an autistic person who may be absolutely brilliant for the job, yeah. but just finds that bit that you make that hurdle to jump over to get in to get a you know a space around the table is is difficult. And I, and I think that's where you know I certainly think that Audicon stand out for me as as an organisation who who don't necessarily focus on CVs or you know the traditional form of recruitment and. I've seen an, an increase. If I'm looking at best practice out there, it's it's those organisations that are really fundamentally changing their recruitment processes so that it is more accessible for people. And that's everything from totally blind recruitment through to you know just a much less stressful recruitment process. It's it's actually I think yeah. I heard someone on a previous podcast say 
just how bizarre an interview actually is in reality. If you take a step back from it and look at it and think, it actually, this is really weird because it's not yeah. focused on yeah, an individual strengths or they're, they're confounding. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's just it's very. I think from my perspective, yes, a much more open and accessible recruitment process that focuses entirely around an individual's strengths, capabilities, and needs. And I think also, yeah. you recruitment for me is it's given both sides an opportunity to check it's the right fit. And I think historically we've always been yeah. it's always been a one sided type thing. Um, you know, it's yeah, very yeah, important yeah. for point. an individual very very good point to to feel like they're they're choosing the right job for them as well. Philip, thank you uh, for you, Malcolm. What can organisations do better to support our autistic community? Would you say so? In terms of Organizations in general, I would say, listen to autistic voices in designing things. Um, so that may be an employer designing how to help those individuals and future ones that are recruited in the future. It may be organizations that deliver services, be it medical or teaching or any service you can think of, actually design that service with people, autistic people in mind, involve them in what is needed, preferably have the autistic people deliver it as well. And that can come into research as well. And I think another point is not to just say this person is autistic and that's the only thing about them, because that narrows it down into this is what we've previously for decades seen autism as. And it's something we haven't talked about much, but it's an important point. And I think it has been alluded to in terms of like the crossover of communities and you suddenly see someone that represents you and you relate to, but if somebody is of a different marginalized group and autistic, so maybe a person of color or female and in terms of diagnosis, in terms of life experiences, that can be different. Um, so organizations to recognize that the intersection of people's identity will affect how autism will present often, not always, but often, and therefore to elevate the perspectives of people that share multiple marginalized identities to really ensure that everyone's represented. Malcolm, you've just given us a great advert for one of our other podcasts on intersectionality. <laughs> Absolutely I, I'm, right. Because I'm saying it's, this, yeah, I'm yeah, saying this no, as right. a white cis male. So there is some yeah. irony, but it's <laughs> with awareness of that and yeah. to elevate those voices. Absolutely. Uh, Callum, about, how about across society more widely? Is there a way that we can raise awareness and understanding more effectively within neurotypical communities, you know, just getting out there and how do we how do we do that? I really like what Malcolm said about centering autistic voices, hearing directly from autistic people. Because even though I think places are getting better, I feel like still professionals and parents of autistic children, their voices are seen as more important than autistic people's. Now obviously loads of perspectives matter. But I think that autistic voices directly should be centered just because nothing in my mind beats lived experience. So I think having them come to your workplace to talk, um, having more articles about autistic people. I've actually had the experience of writing a lot of articles about autism that I've tried to submit to different places. And I have to say there just seems to be a lack of willingness to even have conversations about autism with autistic people. I've even directly approached LGBTQ plus companies and publishers to see if they would be interested in hearing about the overlap between autism and LGBTQ plus because there's such a huge overlap. Yet there just doesn't seem to be a willingness to engage in those conversations. 
So I think the most important thing is to actually have those conversations, centre autistic people's voices in them. And I think there's just this huge stigma attached to autism and neurodiversity generally. I think an attitude shift really needs to occur to recognise the difference is necessary and that it's beautiful and it actually helps all of us and to see the value in that instead of seeing it as something that needs to be changed or altered or hidden away. I think that's a beautiful way to end our podcast. Thank you so much uh, to Philip, to Malcolm and to Callum for all your insights today. It's been a joy having you on our podcast and all the best. And let's hope that people listening, particularly our autistic community, will feel like, actually, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to add to add to the discussion that we've been having today because it's it's been wonderful to hear how the landscape is changing. We've still got a really long, long way to go, but just hearing your experiences, particularly the stuff that has worked, is is really inspiring. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism in Conversation with Auticon. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, would be interested in applying for a job as an Auticon consultant, or would like further information about how Auticon can help support your business, please visit auticon.co.uk. This episode was recorded in March 2023. Recording and production was at Strathmore Studios in Clerkenwell, London. It was engineered by Alex Brown and Jonas Gustafsson. Edited by Billy Godfrey and music was by The Lethargies. That's all from us this time. Thanks again for listening and bye for now.